Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth, you alone. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Beside me there is no other God. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. In the midst of the great conflict between those who believed in the one Creator God and those who wanted to worship many gods, particularly Baal, who let them do whatever they wanted, we find this interchange. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and I have done these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And the prophet Jeremiah said, The Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. For over 1,400 years, the Jews have been taught before all other things that there is one God. God beat them about the head with this truth. There is one God. This perhaps can help us understand a little more the anger of the Jews when Jesus said, My Father. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Equal with God. You need to understand the concept of father and son that was prevalent at that time, very different from what we believe. We gain a hint of this in the word they used to mean offspring, seed, you see, they thought that the male seed was placed in the woman, her womb would be the equivalent of the field, essentially making a copy of the man, someone who was equal in nature to the man. Once he grew up, he was the same thing as his father. And we actually see this worked out in the expectation that sons would do the same work as their father. If a man is a fisherman, would not one made in his image be a fisherman as well? Seriously, that's how they understood the nature of all things, human and, and divine, to be related. When the Jews heard Jesus say, My Father, they were thinking he was claiming there to be two gods. That Jesus was saying, I am another God, as if God reproduced himself. And obviously that's an impossibility. There can't be two eternal, all-powerful creator gods. One would have to be created by the other, which would mean the second one wasn't eternal, and the one would have to be more powerful than the other, which would mean that he wasn't truly God, the other wasn't. It's just not logically possible for one eternal nature to create another eternal nature. So neither is it possible for two eternal natures to exist simultaneously in all places and at all times with all authority, having created all things, etc., etc. It's just not possible. If Jesus was saying that, 
the Jews should have been angry. They would have been correct in saying that he was blaspheming because God is one. And the good news? Jesus wasn't saying, in spite of what the Mormons claim, I am another God. (laughs) But he was saying, I am another person. This key passage follows the first sign that Jesus did specifically to be noticed, to be publicly observed. As we work through it, watch for key words and concepts. Uh, You might grab your papers and, and be ready because you'll hear statements from Jesus about will, my will, his own will, etc. Watch for how they tie together. The word marvel, it shows up twice. And the placement is not accidental. It's there on purpose. The whole concept of judgment needs to be tracked as we go through this. The opposition of life and death and all those related words. And of course, father and son as well as son of are critical elements. You may find other words or things that grab your attention too. The notes page has the scripture on the left, which you can mark up to your heart's content. Please, it's not your Bible. You can actually mark on this thing. (laughs) Circle words, draw lines between them. You know, whatever helps you make the connections. On the right, there is a space to write your questions or thoughts. So take notes, please. Well, let's start then with Jesus' response to the desire to kill him. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, The Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. The first thing Jesus wants them to know about these persons is how very close they are. He is not saying He has to constantly check with the Father to see if what He wills is what the Father wills. That's not what Jesus is saying. He is saying that he and the Father are so close that what they want, their will, is always the same thing. Back when the church started, the one language everybody spoke was Greek. So pretty much all educational, philosophical, and even political communication was in Greek. But even Greek didn't have a word that would work to describe this closeness. So theologians created a word out of multiple Greek words, a special word just for this purpose. Perichoresis. In the Westminster Dictionary of Theological Terms, we read that this is a term used in the theology of the Trinity to indicate the intimate union, mutual interdwelling, or mutual interpenetration of the three members of the Trinity with each other. That's uh, oh, kind of clear. Uh, <laughs> so we have a few things to think out. The doctrine of the Trinity was developed by humans to help humans understand the nature of God. In this graphic, we see that God is one, the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. But each person of the Trinity is not the other person of the Trinity. They are independent persons. The doctrine of the Trinity is a good, solid description of the interpersonal nature of God but it is deeply constrained in its understanding. We are human. We're limited. And we're sinful. And we're not eternal. Does anybody really think that we could completely understand a God that is all of those things that we are not? And of course, we cannot. But we can understand a little. And the doctrine of the Trinity helps us to see that God is one as to nature and three as to 
persons. Now we, all creatures, live in a world where one nature equals one person. If a person has multiple personalities, we know that that's a mental disorder. They shouldn't have three personalities. But three personalities is not three persons. Three persons living in one eternal, omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient nature is going to be very, very, very close. Let's try it another way. God is, in his nature and persons, social, but vastly more intimate than anything we could ever understand, closer than we can grasp. And one has to understand that to understand God. This is why Jesus started with it and why he comes back to it in verse 30. But let's stop for a moment. You might want to draw a line in your paper all the way from verse 19 down to verse 30. It forms an inclusio, as it's technically called. Sometimes it's called bracketing or an envelope structure. Whatever you call it, we do it all the time. When you're in a conversation, you start with the main point, talk about it a bunch, and then you come back to the main point and you repeat it in another form at the end of the discussion. It's pretty common. And this is what Jesus does. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He's saying, I'm not some other God out there doing his own thing. I am one with the Father, so of course I'm going to do what he wills. We have to understand the earth-shattering import of these statements. In these two verses, Jesus presents an idea that no one ever in the history of the world, no one but God, had ever considered. There is one God but there is more than one person in the Godhead. No wonder he had to start and end with this thought. It, it is difficult. But of course, Jesus knew it would be, so he gets to some specifics. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will whom he will. Did you catch that? The will of the Son determines life, eternal life. The Jews understood that God would raise the righteous dead from, to life in the day of the Lord. Well, we should say the Pharisees and the most all the common Jews, in fact, all the believing Jews, the Sadducees were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in any resurrection at all. But most everybody listening to Jesus believed that God would raise them from the dead on the day of the Lord and give everyone who believed eternal life. Okay, again, they didn't think about believing so much. They figured just being Jewish was all it took. But we're not going to worry about that today. But they did, to their credit, understand that when Jesus said, Father, he meant God. And that he holds the power of life and death. Life and death. Is there some greater power? Clearly, this power is reserved only for the sovereign God. And Jesus is claiming that same power. But he started with the love the Father shares with the Son and how very, very close the Father and the Son are. In fact, did you find it hard to figure out who he is and whom he will? Is that the Father, that will, the Son that wills? Well, they share the same will, remember? So the answer is yes. <laughs> it is to say it's both. Well, actually, all three persons of the Trinity, but it's going to be a while before Jesus 
bends their poor little brains even more by introducing the other person to whom he's so intimately close. So for now, we'll just concern ourselves, as he does, with the father and the son. A little side point here. Did you note that he was talking about life? And the Jews were talking about, oh, let's see, killing him. <laughs> what a contrast. Yeah. And here's another fun bit. Our old friend, the chiasm. The first and the last parts go together. The second and the sixth. The third and the fifth. You'll find the same concept in both sections as you work in. In the first and the seventh, we found the truth that the Son and the Father share the same will. That they are, in fact, one in nature. We can also regularly find in chiasms, like in these two parts we're working with right here, repeated key words. In this case, marvel. The main thrust with this pair is all about giving life or judgment. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. His voice, as they clearly understood from what he said, is the Son. The Son will cause the resurrection of all people. The Father raises the dead. The Father is God. The Son raises the dead. The Son is God. We can't repeat it enough, though. They are fantastically, intimately close. Sometimes, like here, their actions are indistinguishable. But sometimes they are clearly distinct. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Any friend of Joe's is a friend of mine. Ever heard anybody say something like that? If you dishonor him, you dishonor me. Of course, nowadays we just say dis. <laughs> if you can't be friends with her, you can't be friends with me. Humans who are close together form mutual friendships. They share even mutual acquaintances. They are close. So anyone doing good to their friend is also doing good to them. And of course, anyone harming their friend will feel their wrath. If close and wonderful human relationships carry this sort of weight, how much more a divine relationship infinitely closer. Jesus' point, one cannot reject the Son and be okay with the Father. Something they, alas, will do soon enough. But back to our point of differences in the person. It is the Son who will be doing the judging. Even though the judgment of the Father is carried out, Jesus will be doing the judging. But don't think you can choose one or the other. The Father and the Son come together. They are one, incomparably close. But they are also different persons. In the second C prime, we can call it section, John 5, 25 to 27, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Those poor guys, you know, oh, wait, the Son of God is also the Son of Man? 
the eternal God, the person of the Son, now also simultaneously lives as a man? Push that whole button. My brain's about to explode. Something's going on here. We can't. I understand them. In fact, those Greek-speaking theologians early on, they created the word perichoresis in their struggle to define the closeness of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, they realized, well, we might as well use it to attempt to describe this other overwhelming concept. So it works like this. The triune God is one in nature and three in persons. The one person of the Son became human, added a human nature to his person. One person two natures perichoresis take two (laughs) one person eternally existent as God the Son one person who will forever also be the Son of Man wow (laughs) okay we better step back a little how do we know Jesus is the person of the Son what is the ultimate sign of authority What right belongs to the Godhead only? We said it already. Judgment, in particular, judgment of life and death. Which, Jesus has already told them, the Father has handed over to him. And now Jesus says why he, of the three persons of the Trinity, is the one to exercise this ultimate sign of divinity. He judges because he has a human nature. Because he is both God and man. You know, we get, wait, why did the Son take on human nature? To die for our sins. Because he died for our sins, his judgment can include mercy. No human, except the one who is the person of the Son, deserves life. We are all fit for death. But God, the God of mercy, would not leave us wallowing in our own filth. We were helpless lying there in our corruption and he stepped into that corruption. He took all our transgressions, bore them on himself, carried them on himself all the way to the cross. But in spite of all the evil of the entire world, that great weight could not hold him down. He has conquered death and the grave. Some chiasms have only hairs so one has only to match the couplets and the meaning becomes clear. Well, clearer. But many such structures hold at their center a gem, a point that is central to all that the chiasm contains. This beautiful work contains just such a treasure. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. The message Jesus has is this. If we hear his word and believe in the Father and the Son he sent, we have eternal life. We will not be judged on our own merit, but by the infinite value of the Son. Instead of suffering eternal death as we deserve, He gives us life. This is the work of the Son. This is the plan of God. This is the good news. We must tell others. The world says you live, you die. That's it. (laughs) 
Incredibly, they are willing to accept that annihilation is their lot. They become nothing but worm food. They cease to exist. They'd rather accept that than accept the consequences of a living God. Isn't there any way we can help these poor, wretched souls? Well, we could tell them that there is a closeness of love that we can, in some way, share that no one even knew existed before Jesus. At the other end of Jesus' ministry here on earth, the very night he was betrayed, Jesus had a long talk with the eleven who believed. He ended that talk with a prayer for them, a great prayer that Jesus prayed after the Last Supper, but a prayer that was for more than just them. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them, even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Obviously, we cannot become God and have the nature that He has. He doesn't reproduce little gods. So we can never fully experience that perichoresis. But we can share in the love that the Father has for the Son and the Son for the Father. We need to tell people we want them to share this active, conscious, manly love with us. To forever be true friends, comrades, close beyond anything we've yet experienced. To know love so deeply that it flows in and out with every breath we breathe. We need to tell them that God breathed out his love in the form of Jesus Christ. The most manly man who ever lived. The perfect man, the living God, breathing in and out for them. And only by believing in God, in the Father, in Jesus Christ, His Son, can anyone ever hope to share a love like this. A love that penetrates every cell of our being. A love that requires a resurrection. A love that can allow us to pass from death to life. A love that never ends. A love at which we should marvel. Let's pray. Father, thank you. It's unbelievable to us that a God that could be what you are, one in nature, three in persons, with an intimate love, it's so perfect, so overwhelming, it's complete. You don't need anything. You don't need anyone. You're the only one who can truly say that. And yet, your son, you allowed him to. And he chose to. 
and your spirit enabled him to add a human nature to his person so that the person of the son experienced birth experienced growing up experienced work experienced rejection experienced betrayal experienced death and burial that he is the person of the son and death could not hold him sin could not overwhelm him Satan had not a chance he conquered death in the grave and he overwhelmed sin and evil and now any who will believe can have that gift of eternal life we can with him follow him through death to eternal life thank you father first that you give us that and second that there are those that we love that you will give that same gift. Help us, Lord, maybe even to be a part of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.